Hey folks, just a reminder, the Liquorland podcast is now available on Stitcher. You can download the app or you can rate us, you can review us, you can share us with your friends, and you can have us on the go. That's the Liquorland podcast, now available on Stitcher. Alright, let's do this, I guess. Really need this to work. It's time for the Liquorland podcast with Joe Joe Lewis. Hey folks, welcome to the Liquor Lamp Podcast with Jojo Lewis. I'm Jojo Lewis. That means you are now listening to the Liquor Lamp Podcast. I'm glad you downloaded it. I'm glad you're listening to it on Stitcher. I'm glad you're listening to it on iTunes. I'm glad you got it at theliquorlamp.blogspot.com where I post all this stuff all the time. I'm glad you're here. I'm sorry. I missed last Friday. I'm a piece of shit. Uh, here's why I missed it, and it may be embarrassing. Uh, no, it is embarrassing. I got, I have a PlayStation. That's really the reason I have a PlayStation 4. And I'm one of these kinds of people where if there's something that I enjoy doing, I tend to do it in like a crazy sort of way where uh, it's my whole life. Like every aspect of me is a part of it. And I get like this sometimes. I'm obsessive. You know, whether it's uh, whether it's video games, like a certain game I want to play, or it's a TV show, like I'll just sit and I'll just watch episode after episode after episode until my eyes bolt out of my skull because it's all I am. Or it's a certain podcast, or it's a certain, like I'll sit with a whole bowl, like a whole carton of ice cream, and I'll just eat all of it. I'll buy a whole thing of Briars. Mint chocolate chip ice cream. It's like $4, half gallon. Terrible for you. Eat the whole thing. Uh, I get, I can't, here's something this is, I don't know if this is related, but I, I have a large problem with, if I eat something out of its container, I'm eating all of it. Like there's no part of that that's going back in the fridge for safekeeping. All, all of it's being eaten. Like if I get like a butter, uh, not butter, that's ridiculous. But if, I, if I'm eating like a, like, you know, Ben and Jerry's ice cream, the little pint size ice creams. Uh, I'm eating all of it. Like there's no, no part of that is going back in the freezer because that's, that's the kind of person I am. I get obsessed and I am an obsessive kind of person. And it, 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 it happened. A, a game came out last Monday, the Witcher three, which if you're someone who knows me personally, uh, you're probably somebody who knows how much I like video games, which means, yeah, you've probably played a little bit of The Witcher 3 too. You could probably understand it. But even if not, uh, that doesn't excuse my behavior. I should have gotten the podcast done, and I didn't, and I'm sorry about that. And it probably won't happen again. Maybe, I don't know, it might happen again. In the meantime, uh, that's that's neither here nor there. Uh, I am an obsessive person. I have, you know, here's the thing about being uh, obsessive. It tends to make you discover things about yourself that in some ways you probably wouldn't have discovered if you weren't focused on it all the time. And this is something that I've been, you know, wrestling with uh, this week. Uh, I haven't been writing many new jokes lately. A lot of people, I, I get praised for that a lot. It's actually something that, that people typically say to me. They're like, oh, Jojo, you're always coming up with, with new material, and it's all relatively positive and good. And I, I understand when people mean by that. But the, the reality is for the past like couple of, uh, couple of months, 
Really, I haven't been coming up with new jokes in the way that I did, you know, previous. And the way I did when people probably started taking note that JoJo writes a lot of jokes. And the reason for that was uh, I was kind of just trying to see if I could keep myself focused on one set of material for a long time. And that was that was my focus for pretty much six months now. Uh, but uh, the problem with that for me is I get really bored uh, really quickly of the things that I say, especially when I have to say them night, night after night after night, which even though I'm, I'm an open micer, I go to pretty much every open mic I can find. That's still a thing that I do. I, I will say the same jokes like a couple days in a row. And after that, I just, I can't fucking take it anymore. I gotta, I gotta do something different. Well, this week, uh, I actually did new material that was coming from a place that I didn't really, understand uh that it was a part of me until i actually said it in front of people and uh this may sound a weird thing if, if any of you guys have ever heard me do stand up before you know what i'm like but for those of you who haven't uh my my style if i have if i'm being pretentious about it i'm shocky you know i'm a very shocky guy the things i say I probably have no business saying them. They're fucked up and they're scary. But some part of me never, like, I don't know if it's a a sociopathic impulse, but hang on. I have cats in here and they're causing a lot of trouble. I have two cats now, by the way. That's That's something you guys missed in the meantime. I have two cats and they're in my studio room just fucking things up. Uh, But... My style is shocky, but to me, it never feels that way. It never feels shocky to me. Like nothing I say really, I never say anything with the mindset like this will put people on edge. And I know that sounds like a cop out, but it's true. Like I don't really register anything that I'm saying to a crowd as this is too far. I I recognize that it happens. It never registers as shocky with me. And I think part of the reason why is because there's sort of this implied idea that uh, whatever is shocky about it, it's it's only shocky right now because I don't know where that shocking thing is supposed to go yet. I haven't quite figured out, you know, what that thing means to me. And I've been doing a bit for a while now. I've been opening with it. It's a it's a pretty vulgar thing. It's about uh, it's a bit. It's like how do you maintain a relationship for so long? And uh, I go, oh, you got to eat the ass. That was the answer that I came up with. And uh, I don't feel that's untrue, but I also know how that sounds. Uh, it's it's extremely shocking. And I would say it like with a bit of panache and grace and whatever. But, but part of me knows that like that's a shockier bit. It's not exactly the kind of thing that I enjoy because the guys that I like aren't really shocky guys. They're more sort of like revelatory guys, guys who who say the horrifying thing and then it comes through later as having some kind of deep personal meaning. So why am I bringing all this shit up? Well, what happened was this this new thing that I was talking about. Look, I've been in a relationship for 10 years and that's a pretty long time to be with one person faithfully. I never I've never cheated on my girlfriend by I guess a standard definition of of cheating, never fooled around, nothing like that. Uh, and and but I don't want you to think that like I have this this thing figured out because I don't. 
I have no fucking clue what I'm doing half the time. I'm just trying to be a good person about it. Uh, but there was a period of time when I was being, you know, basically uh, abused emotionally, which I'm not, you know, it, even now as I say it, it feels like a cop out. But I was being emotionally abused uh, because, you know, my girlfriend had uh, issues that she wasn't dealing with and it came out in our relationship and it affected me and uh, I didn't know how else to, to feel about it. And uh, the, the thing of it is, is, you know, we didn't, my girlfriend and I, we had a very weak a non-existent, uh, basically sex life for about two years. And that's, you know, it's embarrassing to say, but that caused uh, an extreme amount of pain for me. Cause I'm a virile guy. I didn't think I would say that on the podcast, but it's true. And what ended up occurring was I would, we would argue all the time in this period of time and the subtext of the arguments, whenever I would get mad, I, I don't, I didn't like to do new things. I wasn't the kind of guy who would say, Hey, let's go to a restaurant together. I never did any of that shit. I was always just like, uh, go to work, go home, uh, go to school, go home, that kind of guy. And I would never, I would never want to do anything fun. And whenever she asked why, I couldn't be honest about it. And she would notice that. She's like, why aren't you ever being honest? And the subtext of every part of our argument was, because you don't ever want to, you never want to fuck me. And that is an embarrassing thing to admit. It's, it feels juvenile. But it was true. And I think that uh, we're better now. I hope we're better now. But we do have uh, conversations about this this period of time, and she basically is asking, you know, she knows what she was like, I know what I was like, and we talk a lot about, like, why did you behave this way? Like, why did you stick with me for so long, even though I was being so awful to you? Well, the answer, I think, really is, if, if you're in an abusive relationship, physical, emotional, I don't care what it is, if it's abusive, the reason that you stay in it is not because the person is a great person or is because you think you can fix them. I think it's because you have learned to cope. And I think that that we don't talk enough about people who have learned to cope as a, a symptomatic issue of being in an abusive relationship because I have friends, good friends who I know are not in good relationships. They're in shit relationships and it's not my place to say anything to them. Uh, and I know that sounds like a, like, sounds like I'm trying to pass the buck onto them for their lot in life, but it really isn't my place to say, Hey, your relationship is bad and it's kind of your fault. Uh, but the reason why I think coping is the reason people stay is, uh, if, if you're being treated poorly, uh, if you don't get out right away, if you don't just bail at the first sign, uh, which a lot of people say, I think you shouldn't do in a relationship, but you shouldn't bail out them the first time it's bad. What'll happen is you'll start building up like, you know, like scar tissue. Like you'll start getting used to the way that this feels and then it'll start feeling dead to you and it start, it wouldn't even feel like abuse anymore. Well, that I think is what keeps a lot of people in bad relationships is they've just learned how to cope with the stress and the pain. And if, and, and this is also another thing, uh, maybe this is me being too manic to stay focused, but when you understand that you don't really have a good, uh, idea about what 
your relationship is like if you've if you've learned to cope and have built up all that scar tissue that's kind of when you're supposed to have friends that's the importance of having people outside your life who can have a perspective on it that is something uh unique and different now when i was with my girlfriend uh I want you to know that the bundle of, of, of fear and inability to, to talk to people, this is pre-podcast day, so I had no idea how to have conversations. During this period of time, I, I really didn't have a, a, you know, a buddy I could go to and be like, hey, is this fucked up that this has happened? Because I didn't know I didn't have that. So I think if I did, if I had a friend at that point, would I still be with, with my girlfriend? I don't know. I probably wouldn't. If they were telling me, look, you're you're in a very abusive relationship. She's treating you very poorly and it's making you feel bad and it's making you upset and hard to be around, uh, then, then that would probably be uh, the end of that. But I didn't have any perspective on it. I didn't even know how to talk about it, really. And I, I didn't recognize that it was a problem because I had built up all of this uh, all, all of this uh, coping scar tissue around my brain, just like a, just like a rugby helmet made of broken hearts and dreams, just around who I am. And you know, I've been thinking a lot about that. This the bit that I've been working on lately is, in my mind, a little shocky, uh, but it is connected to that, you know, the eat the ass thing. And if you want to find out why, uh, you should probably come to an open mic. I do them pretty much every night. You can find where all the open mics are at satcomedyscene.com. And, uh, you know, um, I don't think I ever would have figured it out uh, if I hadn't started doing the podcast and if I haven't started understanding perspectives, what a, a perspective from another person on a life can can really do for you. And... Uh, so I guess I'm saying that, you know, I owe this to my guests that I have this level of meta awareness about, you know, what my own life is like and what more importantly being abused is like. God damn, that was a lot of bullshit all at once. Jesus, can I just get to the fucking point? Oh, man. Well, you know what, guys? I think it is about time to start the interview. This is enough of me prattling. You didn't get me last week, so I feel okay overloading you on some personal revelation that I figured out in the meantime. Today on the show, I'm talking to a very great comedian. He, he makes me laugh all the time. A very low-key guy, Philip Sturmer, who I think a lot of uh, uh, comics know. Uh, regular people probably don't know him. And I think comics who know of him probably don't know anything about him. And we really try to, to I think, get to the bottom of who Philip Sturmer is. So listen up, guys. This is this was a really cool talk. And I know this sounds weird. Uh, surprisingly interesting. Uh, I'm not trying to say that to be a dick. But uh, I think a lot of you are going to agree. You didn't know this much about P. Sturms. Uh, and you probably never would if it wasn't for this podcast. Uh, so stay tuned, guys. Here's my talk with Philip Sturmer. Check it out. Okay. And we are recording. How you doing, man? Good. Doing good? Yeah. <laughs> so you have, how many kids you got? Oh, I just got one two-year-old. It's two-year-old? Yeah, two, two and a half now. Okay. Uh, Lila. Okay. Yeah. A two-year-old named Lila. How long have you been married? Uh, it's, 
That is 2011, May 27th, I think. Okay. 2011. So like your anniversary, like your four, your four year anniversary is coming up. Yeah, my wife's <laughs> birthday was uh, Friday, and then there's Mother's Day, and then there's the anniversary. So they're all compacted together. So all the like in all, in in a couple of weeks. All your relationship obligations are just like right, like just right next to each other. Yeah, which is is good if you're not great at remembering dates <laughs> are you not great at remembering dates <laughs> no i mean you, you'll notice as i was sharing that information with you there were sort of pauses <laughs> so that's that's kind of the 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 key i think yeah. um but but also then you have to spend a lot of money yeah which i'm not a real big fan of that in in a short amount of time instead of (laughs) spacing it out yeah so it's all just all at once it's it's kind of like um my my daughter her she was born on christmas and so (laughs) right another convenient date which you know jesus and you you get it all now you get like a fancy dinner but also cake so yeah doubling up but the the funny thing is is that i've i've had a number of people when i tell them that she was born on christmas they feel bad for her because they feel like she's being gypped out but it's not actually the case because what happens is is when your birthday is on christmas people will celebrate on a separate day Ah. So what happens is we celebrate her birthday early in December. Yeah. So she has the birthday first week of December. Then Christmas rolls around, right? Got to get her Christmas presents. But oh, wait, it's also her birthday. So we got to get her more presents. So you actually end up getting twice the amount of presents if your birthday is on Christmas. <laughs> So anybody who thinks they're getting screwed, au contraire. You have proof. I do. I, my bank account <laughs> can tell you firsthand. You have a good job, though, right? Like That's, that's one of the things. I feel yeah. like that's one of the things that's true about you oh. that's not true about most of the comedy people I know. Is that, oh, like, okay. You have like a day job that's like reasonably like you can live off it and be a person. Yeah. my Not all of my hopes and dreams rest upon comedy. <laughs> that sounds nice so yeah i i work for child protective services in yolo county yeah and i've been doing that for hmm, july it'll be seven years wow okay so it's for me comedy is something i want to continue to grow at i want to get better at um, but it's not my full-time job and for me that's just a little bit too scary Really, I, I I admire people who go out there and like I'm just going to, regardless of the outcome, regardless of all the struggles I go through, I'm gonna put myself out there and I'm gonna do it full time. Now I have talked to guys though that ended up. There's this guy, a comedian I talked to years ago, that told me he eventually just ran out of money uh-huh. while he was on the road and just ended up sleeping in a park for about a week. Mm-hmm. And that's when he decided that he had enough and he left and then did something in computers. Huh. And okay. and then went back to comedy, but just, you know, on the side. Yeah, it was. So. It, it, it wasn't hanging like this is my, my livelihood entirely. No. And I've met people that there was a guy from L.A. I met that he was living in his car uh-huh. and he just had a 
I remember he had a whole bunch of CDs, just a ton <laughs> of CDs. And this was because um, I, I started doing comedy in my early 20s. Uh-huh. And then I took some time off during how, school. How now? And now I'm I'm 36. Okay. So just to give you an idea of the, the timeline there. Um, but this was before iPods and all of that, you know, and so and podcasts, all of it. It was just <laughs> so he was just all he had is his it was just him and and his clothes and his CDs. And he would just between gigs, he was sleeping in his car, and really his only friend, I think, was his CDs. Wow, it was really kind of that sad. is that is grim. <laughs> so there's, I he, I hear these stories too, um, but then I know you know other guys. I I know Jason Wrestler and Andrew Norelli who've you know been able to. They're not guys that have had um, amazing amounts of success, but they've had enough to where they can make a living at it. Right. Right, and yeah. you and, and you're and you're of the mindset like, like the risk is to hang everything on on doing comedy as a living. The risk is is really like too high. It's a combination for me of it. It feels risky. Um, it it also at times is stressful. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and um, I just find, you know, it's one thing to go to an open mic. And I'm going to try out some new jokes versus I'm going to a comedy club and I'm trying to get work at this club. And if I don't get this work, then I'm going to be continuing to live in my car or eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches or those kinds of things. And it just um, I'm not as much of a gambler, just my personality. Uh And I think that I'm. I think I'm a good comic, yeah. but I don't know that I'm, I've questioned whether or not I'm good enough uh-huh. to, to make a full-time living at it. Oh, so. I understand that. I understand that. How long, so when you, when you, so you started doing your comedy when you were in your twenties, so that would be like early two thousands. Like, is that yeah. about right? Yeah. Yeah. That would be, did be, you start, did you start here in Sacramento or Yes. Somewhere? So yeah. the first club. I waited till I was almost 21 and I thought that you couldn't perform in a comedy club until you were 21 because they served alcohol there. I had this in my mind, <laughs> <laughs> like this rule yeah. in my head. I think that's true for bars. I don't know if it's true for clubs. But, 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 but now, you know, I've seen kids and like over at the Sacramento comedy spot, yeah. I've seen kids that are like 12 or 13 occasionally get up at yeah, the open yeah. mic. So that was one of these things that that um, yeah didn't turn out to be to be true. But yeah. But um, so I started about then, and uh, was doing the open mics, and then I did some some uh, eventually was able to get some paid work in uh-huh. in Oregon. I think I did a lot of those kinds of you know where it ends up being like a a, a nightclub. Oh, or yeah. a bar or that kind of work. So a couple um, like one nighters, like fifty hundred bucks. Yeah, that sort of thing. I would feature. Uh-huh. So you know, I worked my way up to that level where I'm doing thirty minutes, um, and then I did some work in the clubs. I did a one time. I did a week at Laughs Unlimited with Michael Winslow. He was the guy that did the voices from uh, Police Academy. Oh, okay. The black guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Um, 
so yeah, I've had some, you know, but that's just some success. That's about as far as I've, I've taken it. Okay. So how yeah. did like, so you did it for a while and mm-hmm. you kind of got to that kind of road level feature yeah. comic. What happened to, like, how'd you, like, what got you out of it? Because I feel like you, you're one of those cats who took like a break for a while. Yeah. Um, well, one thing that was happening is when I started to shift towards trying to do it full time, which was a very brief stint. Yeah. Um, and that was maybe f- five years in. Maybe I was about 25 at the time. Right. Um, my mom was screaming at me on a regular basis. Really? Yeah. It was pretty for, for doing comedy. And she was really worried that, um, that I was, she didn't like, she calls it the, the lifestyle (laughs) (laughs) associated with comedy. So I don't know drinking and whoring or I don't know all of what goes along with it or being homeless. Yeah. Um, but she was worried about that and she just didn't think it was a very stable profession. No, I understand. And I wasn't, I was in college, but I was dropping some of my classes at the time and I was living with her and she was just screaming at me. So then I just went back to live with my dad. But after experiencing some of the road where I would do, oh, maybe a week at a time. Yeah. I found it also to be a bit lonely. Yeah. Where and and I also found that I was I would have these experiences where I, I found I'd was kind of losing myself. And what I mean by that is I think who you are is sort of anchored to uh, places. It's anchored to the people you know. Uh And if those things are constantly changing, you start to lose a sense of identity. At least I did. Really? That was maybe it was just me overreacting, but I did kind of go through this unpleasant metamorphosis on a psychological level. Did you like, did your behavior change? Like, were you like, I just remember being like kind of just freaked out. Uh huh. I was, I was wigging out a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) And and, and this would be just, you know, a a week and I would start to wig out. I mean, there's people that, that go for months or even years, you know, they're just on the road all the time. Uh, and I think they have the personality for it. I don't. I don't know what it is, but it just. For me, I guess I'm just too much of a regular guy that needs a regular job but likes to do comedy. So, so the 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 road, the difficulty of being on the road is kind of just like emotionally, it's just too taxing. It was too taxing for me. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there. So that was a factor. Um, yeah, just a number of things, but I love doing it Uh and I want to get better. And I feel like I've grown as a comic, especially my ability to, to write has really, I feel like I've really developed there. I, uh, when I first started out, I would, I would be able to write, say, you know, a one punchline to a joke, set up punchline kind of thing. And then I couldn't seem to really build on the joke and really expand. Couldn't figure out how to like tag it or move it outward. Not that much, maybe a couple of tags, but I just, um, it just seemed to be difficult for me, Uh you know, because I would write, um, you know, sometimes the, the first punchline was so strong that I just couldn't follow it up with anything else. I don't know. I just, it just seemed to be a thing, but now I'm since I've come back to it, I feel like I'm really 
I can sit down and write. And I have some jokes that are literally on the same topic for five minutes. Yeah, yeah. That's so, always a good feeling when you can just keep talking about the same thing. I feel yeah, like, because it's more focused. There's like a focus there that, that just the quick kind yeah. of jokes miss. I, th- I think it's I think it's much more enjoyable for the crowd if you're not just ADD and all over the place. Yeah, yeah. Um, that they can track what you're doing. And it allows you to build a sense of identity oh, on totally. the stage and all totally. of that. Like you, so. watch, like you watch like comedy specials. There'll be guys who'll do like, I'm going to do, it's many different jokes, but like that's just, we just did 20 minutes just on like being right. married or something like yeah. that. Like that, just that level of being able to keep talking about that same topic, like really colors... Yeah, I was I was listening to Jim Gaffigan. That guy literally does like 10 minutes on bacon. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> it's like how can you write that much material? And you to think that 10 minutes that he wrote on bacon, he wrote actually probably wrote maybe 45 minutes to an hour on yeah. bacon. Yeah. Yeah. And then then whittled it down to 10 minutes of bacon talk. Yeah. <laughs> That's a way to think about it. Yeah. It really, I mean, that's a lot of bacon talk. Yeah, so he was just all the time. Yeah. His whole life for a while was just thinking about Just, I mean, even if you're, if you're a farmer and you've got livestock, I don't feel like even then you could carry on a conversation that long about bacon. But he, <laughs> he managed. It's impressive. Yeah, yeah, there is a level of like, that's kind of impressive, like just the meditative like focus it takes yeah. to be able to handle material for that long. Well, here's the thing I'm curious about is... um. Okay, when so when did you start like coming back out like relatively like you come out like once a week about it seems like once yeah so my my goal right now is I'm just trying to get out once a week um, and just either you know new jokes or trying to perfect old ones Um, and I've done a few shows um, where I'm I'm opening doing you know ten fifteen minutes that sort of thing so that's kind of where I'm at right now and when did you start on you know, that being the kind of pattern that you wanted to work at, like just come out once a week? Um, well, I think it's just been, this is what I've been able to commit to. Okay. Um, you know, I have a full-time job. I have a two-year-old. I have other things that I do. I'm into mountain biking and, um, you know, so combination of all of that. Okay. Um, okay. I, I find that, yeah, I can commit to this one day. Um, because it's hard sometimes for me, at least on the on the weekdays, to come out. You know, when I gotta get up at at six thirty in the morning, and if you yeah, you, you know do a later show, an open mic or something, you don't get up. You know, say you're the last person to oh, get up. Totally, that means yeah. you're you're out of the building at ten or so, and then I get home, and then just sort of winding down, especially after performing, I find that I get you know a bit amped up. I can't just go nighty night. Yeah, I once I once I get home, so. The consequence basically is I don't get much sleep, so I, I'm trying to just I can do this is what I can commit do you, to. Do you record so. your sets? Absolutely. Do you yeah. listen to them on the ride home? Sometimes, but what I will do is I write everything down. Yeah. And I've heard of comics not doing that, which is insanity to me. That you and I've heard of comics losing a lot of material. Oh yeah, because That's a because they're not they're not recording every single joke that I do. Um, as I'm working it out, I will write it down on the computer and then I have like all these different kinds of, um, I have a, like two or three different acts that I've created. Yeah. So I have, um, 
an act where it's more urban centered <laughs> you know what i'm talking about yeah i do i, I do jokes I about about trying to be a rapper yeah um and then i'm i'm also trying to do jokes where it's still like kind of a character which is uh, my impression is sort of a, a this dorky guy that is trying to be cool right right that in some and sometimes believes he's cool or he's just making his best effort either with the ladies or socially with other people or trying to become a rapper or trying to be tough. Yeah, Those yeah. kinds of things that that's sort of the message I think um, that I'm kind of, kind of like the behavior is kind of the opposite of, of how you appear. Yeah. There's a little bit of almost like Colbert kind of thing where, where he, you know, he, he presents himself as this re- staunch Republican. Um, but, but he he's undermines sort of the yeah, Republican yeah. agenda. When, when he, whenever he would say stuff, it would always be something like, to either to an extreme level where it's obviously satirical or you would just say something that just w- doesn't fit. Yeah. So I guess there's a little bit of, of that kind of um, style or, yeah. or idea. I understand, um, that. I understand that. So I've created a, like a non-urban act where it's not as there isn't as much of the, you know, rap stuff or there isn't <laughs> as much of, um, you know, uh, just any kind of homey talk because what I've what I'm starting to really learn as I've developed these jokes is that when you go to Grass Valley, for example, yeah, and you try to do rap material about about Tupac, um, <laughs> it doesn't exactly go over so well. <laughs> so, because because Grandpa ain't down with that. No, he's not. Um, he, he ain't representing that. Um, so. So now I'm 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 creating based on you know the the audience that I'm that I'm performing for when I had uh, we had Lila a couple of years ago and I came back after having a bit of a hiatus um, I started writing all this dad material yeah. like, about being a dad and then I switched back to my old character that I had created years ago the the rapper the rapper yeah. I. Sometimes call him the ultimate white guy because that's I so do a joke give, about that. Like a nickname. Yeah, I mean that's sort of a title, and I've kind of advertised it that way. But I don't always get introduced. But, yeah. But but yeah, the ultimate white guy is the would be my the idea of it. Yeah. So yeah, so you have this dad. Okay, well, here's a question, man. Like, because the the one thing I notice about the the rap material, and maybe this is I don't know you well enough, but it seems like uh, that material is almost exclusively something that you're trying to produce. That's outside of your experience. You know what I mean? Like, it seems mm. like this is, uh, it's, it's funny, but also at some of them, like, there's no, like, this is something that's fabricated specifically to be funny. This isn't, doesn't feel like it's mining too yeah. much about who you are. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's, um, I mean, outside of like, you know, uh, kind of like an awareness of like, I know, I know what I'm like. Sure. So you've you've produced all this material that's kind of really outside that, but it doesn't seem to draw too much on, you know, like uh, you think my personal experiences. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, I do. It, it, underneath all of it, to me, what the ultimate white guy yeah <laughs> represents. I want to call him. I want to call him P. Sturms. P. P. Sturms. <laughs> Whatever you want to call him, that's. That's fine. This is I can be flexible on. And P. Sturms is down with that. Yeah. 
But underneath all of it, to me, what it comes down to is social acceptance. Right. And I think especially as a kid, I was, I'm an only child. Uh-huh. And so is my daughter. And she's already shy. Oh, And okay. I was that way as a kid. Um, up until maybe high school, I started to get a little bit more comfortable. I went to this Christian school and it was smaller and not a lot of students there. So I was a bit more comfortable. But a lot of times I was really shy and socially awkward as a child. Right. And so I think that's where it, it, it kind of comes from is this idea of trying to fit in, of trying to be... Um, accepted by others but really failing at it so it's kind of like the material that you're producing is like uh this this is an exaggerated version of what i think people would have liked right exactly that's very much what what the character is like i do a you know joke about i have a friend at big o tires yeah rick you maybe heard that (laughs) that joke i've heard that one and um how we've got this bromance going on but but really the only reason why Rick likes me is because I keep buying all these truck tires. <laughs> but I'm trying to earn his love. You know, I'm trying to earn his respect and his friendship and all of that. And that's right. what kind of gets communicated in in the joke. And the only way I know how to do that is financially. Right. By, by giving him money. Right, right, right. Um, and so I don't have just cat out of the bag. I don't have a buddy... At Big O Tires named Rick, <laughs> either. <laughs> so, I know mine's blown. Uh, yeah. I would have paid you for a guy who I, knew Rick. You I, know, I, right? <laughs> of course, Rick has got to be real. The rap, <laughs> not so much, but Rick definitely. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's the that's the idea. That's what I'm 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 doing. But but it is definitely this alter ego. It's not based in reality. But it, but but it is based in some in some truth in my life. Okay, okay. Um, is there? So you have the acts that are kind of like the uh, the character based things, um, and you have an act that's not like that, where it's more like the dad, the dad, dad, dad stuff. Where okay. where you know I I do jokes like one of the jokes I have is um, I just became a parent. Let's go. I just became a parent. It was the. Um, Worst financial decision of my life, oh, yeah, or remember, something I, like that. I, right? that, I, I forget that how the joke goes, yeah, but yeah. Um, but it's more. Um, in some ways, maybe it is uh, a little bit more related to who I am now because yeah. I'm a frugal guy. Yeah. So when I start making any jokes about money, um, that's definitely based in in reality, and also the the inconvenience and the difficulty. Of being a parent and the burden of yeah. being a parent, um, that's very much, I would say, based in, in, in reality. But the reason why I, I do the character versus that is I feel like the character, for me, is more of an original contribution oh, okay. to, to comedy. And, I, and what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to create something that I believe is, is somewhat original that is um, that the crowd will like, but also I have pride in. Okay. In creating, and well, I and and the other stuff, although it feels authentic and truthful, it it doesn't feel as original. Is there? Um, that's interesting to me because the uh, typically the mindset is 
is it's like the things that you tr- the things you try to make specifically because uh you know this is a funny thing those are the things that tend to be like kind of the most uh the hackiest things but then you you what, what I'm hearing you say is you're going like the stuff that you feel is actually closer to who you are that stuff is the stuff that you feel like I can't take as much pride in this because it seems like like it's old ground. Is that kind of the the sense I'm getting? Like because you said con- like the word you used specifically was contribution. So yeah. are, do you feel like your your dad experiences are such that you don't know how to, or they just they're just not the kind of experiences you feel you can translate to to comedy in a way that's I guess sort of like newer or, or seems yeah. Fresh? I, I guess I guess um, for me the character is something that between the two uh-huh. I believe is is more original like it's more artful yeah and I also think the way that I view it is like somebody writing a screenplay right so you can create this this fake world and these fake characters um, but if you when you write it, when you create it, if you're specific and use all of the various senses, you know, like what did you see and what did you hear and what did you experience? It brings a sense of reality to this world, even though it's a fabricated world. Absolutely. And I and I think that that my jokes, the way I especially right now, even though I'm talking about being a rapper, um, I give pretty specific examples yeah, of they situations. Are, they're extremely detailed. That's true. And 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 then for me, that makes it gives it a sense of 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 reality. Okay. Okay. It gives it a sense of it gives it a sense of reality. Um, well, here's a question: Do you are you able to move between uh, those acts? Like, are you able to move from rap guy to dad guy? Like, is that something you can do? And like, let's say like you had a set where it's twenty minutes. Could you do ten minutes just on just as P Sturms and then ten minutes as as Papa Sturms or whatever? So I don't believe that these two should be mixed. Really? No. Okay. I think that um, there are things. The so the character in my mind, the ultimate white guy, P Sturms, whatever you want to call him. Um, he doesn't have children. Okay. He's not married. <laughs> and he so and he struggles socially. Uh-huh. And that's a big part of his identity. Huh. And if you weave in there, I'm a dad and I'm married and all of these other things, I think that it negates the character or negates what I'm trying to create. So I don't mix the two. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, I always keep them separate, and I just kind of stop doing the dad stuff. But, but you know, maybe, maybe when I get a little bit older, maybe that's what'll <laughs> feel right. And, you know, at some point, a friend of mine, uh, Kevin Young, he's a comic. I don't know if you know him. I think I've encountered him once or twice. Um, he was telling me, you know, you also when you're writing, it has to be age appropriate. Okay. So I used to ju- do a joke where. Um, I would talk about, I finally got laid. Yeah. And, you know, at a certain point when you're 36, you can't really continue about talking about how you just finally got laid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And also, I think the rap joke, too, has a timeline on it where it's like there's a certain point when 
you know, if you're barking at 40 or 50, do you really want to become a rapper? (laughs) (laughs) So that'll be when the, that'll be when the dad material suits you more. Maybe, maybe that's when it'll, it'll, um, it'll sprout up. But, uh, it, I don't know. It's just something I created from the beginning and want to see it through. Okay. Okay. So the, the, uh, the the, ca- the P-Sturmer. P-Sturms. Yeah. Okay. P-Sturms. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I got to get it right. Yeah, eventually. We'll I'll figure it out. out. We'll yeah. figure it out. <laughs> um, well, okay. So, it's, it's, well, it's, it's interesting to me that, I mean, I, I couldn't, Im- I have trouble imagining, like, sets of jokes that can't blend you know like there's something about that that um that bothers me somehow i think it's you know what i think it is i think it's that when i imagine a set of jokes i imagine like any joke that you write Mm -hmm. the unifying factor in it uh is you like the unifying thing that like every bit that you have Mm -hmm. that you write is like well that's all coming from you somewhere yeah so there should like you actually feel that they can't blend. I do, and I've had experiences where I've written jokes that I think negate each other. Interesting. I I because the jokes that I have sometimes will um, talk about you know being socially inadequate. Right. So that that's a big theme. But if the next joke that I um, that I have is where I'm you know, slapping bitches around and giving dudes <laughs> high fives in the bar because I'm just one of the dudes. Um, that's going to be confusing. So I, 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 for me and the way that I write yeah. and how I have certain themes that come out, uh-huh. um, I've had experiences where jokes negate each other. That's not true for every comic. I, I think some people, the way they write, they probably don't run into those problems. But I definitely have had. You've had those. experiences like on stage, like what actually. Yeah. And I, I realized afterwards, like, OK, this first joke worked, but then this other joke didn't work. And I l- listened back to my performance and listened to the message that is being conveyed in that first joke. Okay. And how it is then negating what that second joke is about. Okay. I've I've had those experiences. So, so it's kind of like um it's it's kind of like uh you have like your acts have like they they have a a point of view and like a frames of reference that don't they can't correlate. Like they're legitimate like different characters. Yes. I and I think that the humor is de- dependent upon the the character having certain qualities and certain experiences and building a certain context around that. So like the character and has to have like, like a level of purity to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh, just like a movie, right? Where if you have a, you know, I, I guess a dorky guy uh, that's, um, you know, is never good with the ladies. But then, you know, the next scene is he's, um, you know, taken in runaways yeah (laughs) doing bad things to him i mean it just it's gonna be you there's ways i think to to show an evolution of of somebody on stage so i i do think that can happen where you can do one joke that that um maybe shows 
maybe more of an innocence about a person. Yeah. And then you could say something like, well, since then, I've had these experiences. But you have to, that has to be explained to the audience. You can't um, just jump from one um, personality in one context to a different to a different so, world so you couldn't so but by that logic you could say like start a set like i remember back when i was peace terms yes like and then that and then with given given time you could actually work through those that character you know, to and, one, from one spectrum to the other right and now i i work for cps and i make so much money a year and i and and i pay my mortgage on tom Watch out, ladies. Okay. <laughs> you know, still has that attitude, but no. right. but it's a different it's a different level, right? Yeah, yeah. You can't you can't just you can't start out there, but maybe there's an evolution that can that can occur. Interesting. So. I would, I could see you doing like a show where you were just like, like you would just have costume changes or something. Like you would go backstage and you put on a pair of sunglasses. Yeah, Brian Brian Crawl uh, Call Crawl 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 Yeah, with an R um, from the Sacramento Comedy Spot. The owner he um, had talked to me a little bit about doing that. And there's wish I could remember the comic's name, but he's had some acts perform that do comedy, but they even have you know certain apparel certain costume that they yeah, that yeah. they wear that that even heightens it that much more and makes yeah. brings a sense of reality to that character now that you're creating on stage and maybe maybe that would be ideal for me since I'm you know there's definitely comics probably like yourself which is maybe more about your personal experiences yeah that I'm I'm of this uh this particular it's a very common paradigm where it's like it's a comic who who I am on stage is is in my mind it's an exaggerated version of of who I am, but not 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 extremely. Not and mine is more of an extreme exaggeration. Yeah, is that yeah, what you yeah. would say between yeah, the I two? Yeah, I would say that that the guy that you become on stage is like wildly different. Yeah, to the point where I'm like, it's a different it's a different character. I've had people watch me too, which is it's kind of weird. Is when I've invited people to come see the show, yeah, and I don't tell them anything. And then they see me do this character on stage, and they're like, "Well, that was good, but wasn't expecting that." They're they're <laughs> they're they're entertained and they're baffled at the same time. It's okay. sort of that's that's kind of their reaction to the to the show. Versus the other thing is is when I'm performing, it's generally for people that don't know me, so they right. don't have any point of reference to say. Well, that's not like Philip at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like, oh, this guy is just—he's just out there, odd. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I under, I can understand. I, I understand that that logic. Like someone actually sees you, and then they're like, "I didn't think he would tell jokes about Tupac. This is weird." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I I get the. So you do a character? Is that right? I get. That's what people will will say. They're a little bit. They're a little bit confused by that. It's, you know, it's not something that I sought out to do. Like, oh, I'm going to do a character and 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 I'm going to try to create a whole act around a character. It's just something that came out. Yeah. You know, it was just this very natural experience. It just, I was like, oh, this is just coming out. And this is where I'm, this is the direction I'm supposed to go because this is what's, this is what's coming just it's what's, na- naturally. It's what, it's what interests you and what it's what, uh, 
It's what like it's where when you write a bit like you can imagine like this is something that that Peastram would say. Yeah, and and what I mentioned sort of earlier about not being able to really develop and elaborate on my jokes is I think I didn't I also didn't know the character maybe as well as I do now. Okay. Like I've lived with the character so many years and really gotten to know the character and now it's much easier to create material to kind for of like the to slip into that into that uh, that state of mind of this yes, is how he would be like this is exactly the experiences he would have and be able to really expand in uh, upon his world interesting yeah have you tried uh have you tried like building that level of of uh i guess it would be character development for like your other your other acts or like try to come up with other characters to be i haven't tried doing other characters so i have you know i have my non-urban material that's what i call it it's a titled <laughs> as and then my urban material yeah um those are the same character really oh, really okay. yes those would be the same character it's it's still striving for social acceptance it's you know it's dealing with rick at big o tires versus yeah. trying to become a rapper yeah it's still the same guy um but there's just certain topics that um Peace terms doesn't talk about when it's when Whitey's in the crowd, basically okay. older, older Whitey, because <laughs> um, older Whitey and down with that. And then the the dad, I guess, is more me, but I think more similar to your act where it's it's me kind of amped up a little bit. I get me that. doing exaggerations I w- of I, myself. I would I want to see you do like. Like he's like Bing Crosby or something, like a crooner, <laughs> like a crooner, like such something, like like the ultimate like oh, dad. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Tonight's why. the night, ladies. Well, it's, I think that uh, I think that is kind of a a unique talent because like the um, the idea of of doing like a legitimate like a character on stage is typically something that's reserved. It's like shied away from. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think of like, there's only like one comic I can actually legitimately think of who does like, a, like his act is characters. And that mm-hmm. is like, uh, uh, Nick Kroll. Who, oh, okay. Uh, have you seen him? I've not seen his stand up. I know he has a show on comedy. Yeah. Central. His show. This is interesting. Like his whole show is like, it's sketches, mm-hmm. but it's sketches that are rooted around the different characters he plays. Mm-hmm. So he'll have a whole sketch built around this one character that in his, you know, when he does a, a set at like a show, he would be this character for so many minutes and then he would do a costume change and he would come out as a different guy. Well, what do you think about, say, and I don't know these people personally, so I can't really speak to whether or not they're doing a character, uh-huh. but, you know, Dave Attell. Oh, uh, for example, do you, don't you think he's doing a character? Yeah, there. Well, I mean, the level of. Well, the idea of character, I think, in this context is uh, it's like the difference between this is a really exaggerated version of who I am Mm -hmm. versus this is a construct. Okay. And I think that comes almost to like a level of of consciousness about about what it is you're doing. Because when I I think about like um, there are some guys who like we can even see like in the local scene who it's like who they are on stage and who they are off stage is actually not wildly different. Mm-hmm. Like it's like um I think I'm thinking of like Idris. Oh yeah, no, yeah. he's very He's very cool off stage, he's very cool very similar. on stage. Yes. Yeah. 
Um, but like in terms of like the if you think about the technical performative aspects of comedy, what he is on stage that is a persona, that's a character that he's becoming. But that character is more like natural. Yeah. Um, and he's not doing. It's it'd be weird to say that Idris is really pretending when he's on stage. He's very that's very close to who he is. Yeah. Um, he seems I, very authentic. But I think about you know like uh, guys like. David Tell is actually a really good example because he's kind of like well Rodney Dangerfield. I was thinking about him. Yeah, him too. You think he, you think he's a? I feel I feel character? that. He, I, well, that's actually a tougher one because I feel like he he did have he was really he had all these really like jokey jokes mm-hmm. and um, but they were all really really good and I felt they all came from like a, a real place but yeah. they were always kind of like. Ugh, you know, like, but this felt like there his was a catch line of uh, get no respect, no yeah, respect I feel, at all. I think, you know, that that seemed like a character, yeah, that seemed things. like a character or, or like an aspect of the onstage persona guy mm-hmm. that's really like you know, unique. But then you see someone I think it would be like Steve Martin mm-hmm. who was like, you know, <laughs> he would do like the like the was it the worst? Like, this is a joke, and he's gonna pull out the rubber chicken or whatever. Okay. And like, that is like, no, that's a construct, like, he yeah. made that specifically. Mm-hmm. With forethought. Like, it wasn't... It's the difference, I think, from kind of like you evolve on stage to, like, you bring something to stage that's finished. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because one of the like one of the things that, that was drilled into me when I was starting was, like, um, you know, you go on stage a lot to figure out who you are. Um, but if you actually have, like, a character in mind, you don't go on stage to figure out who you are, really. You go on stage to figure out how to make this character work, which is kind of, yeah. like, different. Yeah. Because you have an idea of what that person is supposed to be like beforehand. Yes. I went on stage, you know, no idea who I... I guess I would say, I went on stage with no idea who I was. <laughs> and then I was like, you know, time passed. I was like, oh, I'm kind of like this guy. And I started figuring out, like, this is closer emotionally or mentally to what i you know should sound like mm-hmm. but i feel like um i feel like like peace terms or like you know those kinds of of things i feel like that's different mm-hmm. somehow yeah 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 that no, makes I, sense. I, I see what you mean yeah yeah it's, it's more um just more involved and, and so much more different yeah it's very i feel like it's more like uh it can be practiced way easier if that makes sense. Not that that's a detriment of it, but actually that's like a benefit. Like you can mm-hmm. practice at peace term in an, mm-hmm. in an easier way than I could say practice at being Jojo. Mm. <laughs> right. That's, you're just supposed to be Jojo. I'm just, you're not I, supposed I, to practice yeah, at being yourself. Yeah. Right. That's Because <laughs> then suddenly you'll become somebody you're not. Yeah. Because like, how do you have to... <laughs> I, What's my natural state? I was trying so hard to be me. I lost myself. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that is that is brilliant. <laughs> so maybe that's why I'm a character. Yeah, maybe that, that maybe yeah. that is. Maybe that's just uh, was too hard being me. <laughs> maybe that, maybe that's a maybe that's what you should take the stage. Just be like, I don't know how to be me. I don't know. How, so that's so why beast terms. Yeah, yeah. Well, shit. How you feel, man? You feel good? Yeah. Feel okay? Yeah. We've gone for about 45 minutes. Okay. So um, uh, Phil and I are recording this on a Sunday, and we have to get to the comedy spot so we can do comedy. Yeah. Yeah, or try to. Or try. Yeah, we're going to do. I'll try to not be me and (laughs) And JoJo. I'll try to be as me as I can. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for doing this, Phil. I appreciate it, bro. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) 
Hey guys, that's been the show. Ah, uh, that was uh, that was interesting, and I think I'm glad we decided that P. Sturm is the name of that character. Oh boy. All right, guys. Next week on the show, I'm talking to Jason Anderson. We had a really fun talk where we covered fish penicillin. It was really interesting. In the meantime, you can get at me on Twitter at Bucky Gums. You can get at me on Instagram at Bucky Gums. You can get me on Facebook at JGL Comedy. And hey, like our web, our uh, Facebook page, the Liquor Lamp uh, Podcast with JoJo Lewis, because that would be really sweet of you. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know who I am. Thank you guys for hanging out with me. I'll see you next week. And I told you that this would work. <laughs>